Our Lord Jesus Christ, we take this opportunity again this morning to give you thanks. We, we do uh, affirm that every morning your mercies, your love, your goodness, uh, all of that is new every morning. Lord, we recognize that a ministry is not about uh, bricks and mortar. Lord, we, we pray that as a church, that we would always be faithful to you, that we would be faithful to preach the gospel. And we pray that as a result of this ministry, that there would be many people who would come to a saving relationship with Jesus Christ and many that would be transformed into the image of Jesus Christ. Lord, this morning as we interact with your word, I pray that you would give us ears to hear, give us eyes to see. Lord, would you change us and would you transform us as a result of your word. And it's in Christ's name that we pray. Amen. I want to welcome those who are listening to us uh, through our app or our podcast this morning. I want to make uh, you aware too, those who are listening, that uh, there are those of you who are here today that may not have uh, downloaded our City Church app. You can do so on your iPhone or on your uh, Android phone as well. And uh, welcome to our first service in our new building. And this morning we're starting a five-week series uh, on marriage, and it's called Best Advice Ever. And we're going to look at some of the oldest wisdom in the world about relationships in general from the book of Proverbs. And then what we're going to do is we're going to apply some of that wisdom to uh, the ultimate of human relationships, marriage. I think it's true that all of us need good advice for our marriages. Can I get another amen on that this morning? Yeah. That wasn't as hearty as I thought it would be. <laughs> Can I get another amen on that this morning? Amen. Okay, good. Takes a lot of work to make a marriage work, doesn't it? Um, I have to tell you that it never ceases to amaze me how much work it takes. I did not know that, frankly, when my wife and I got married. And yet, uh, I was still scared to death anyway. I was 32 years old when I got married. I'd been single uh, for a long time. And no sooner than the pastor pronounced us man and wife, the first thought that I had was, what have I done? What in the world have I done? And Amy, Amy knows that, by the way. It, not like I shared it on our honeymoon or anything. But I have admitted that to her uh, over the years. And we will celebrate our 24th wedding anniversary in May of this year. At least that was true when I left home this morning before I told you guys that story. It may not be true when I get home. I recognize that uh, in our church, there are plenty of people here who aren't married. Some of you are single, never married. Some of you are divorced uh, and single again. Some of you are widowed. I want you to understand that I always think about you guys when I do a service like this, because I don't, I don't want you to feel left out in any way. The five topics that we're going to look at in this series apply to any and all relationships. They, they apply to friendships. They apply to dating relationships. They apply to work relationships. So please, don't tune me out in this series, and don't, don't feel like that there's nothing here that's going to apply to you, because there's plenty. Before we launch into this series, I want to do something. I want to make sure that we are all very honest with ourselves. And I want to invite every married person to read this out loud with me. Would you put it up here uh, on the screens? I want you to say this with me. There are no perfect marriages at City Church, including mine. Do you believe that? 
Yeah, there are no perfect marriages here at City Church, including mine. I just think it's important that we get that out on the table so that we're not deceiving ourselves in any way. And if you think that your marriage is perfect, I would suggest that you just turn to your spouse and ask them what they think, and I think they will set you straight that your marriage isn't perfect. So this series is coming, as I said, from the book of Proverbs, and the Proverbs are a little different than uh, like a regular passage of Scripture that we would normally walk through here at City Church. So instead of having you turn to one passage this morning... Uh, I'm going to have to read a number of different Proverbs that relate to the topic today. So you're welcome, if you want to, to open your Bible to the Proverbs. But if you want, uh, this morning, you can also just follow along on the screen behind me. A lot of people think that the Proverbs are just an unrelated collection of wise sayings. But that's not true. There are themes that run throughout the book of Proverbs. In fact, one of the themes that runs through the book of Proverbs is the importance of friendships. Proverbs says that you aren't going to be a wise person. You're not going to lead a wise life unless you're great at choosing and forging and keeping terrific friendships. So let's start with this very simple point this morning. Wise people prioritize friendships. Wise people prioritize friendships. Now, I realize that some of you are thinking, well, okay, so that's great, but what does that have to do with marriage? Well, if it's wise to prioritize friendships, how much more is that true in marriage? And so let's apply this principle about friendship, let's apply it to marriage. Wise people prioritize friendships, and wise couples prioritize their friendship with one another. You see how we're doing this? We're just taking a principle in general, about relationships, and we're going to apply it to the subject of marriage. Nod your head if you get what I'm doing here. You see it? Okay, good, good. Wise people prioritize friendships. Wise couples prioritize their friendships with one another. Now, I want you to look. Let's start with these two verses. Proverbs 17, verse 17. A friend loves at all times, and a brother is born for adversity. And then the second one is Proverbs 18, 24. A man of many companions may come to ruin, but there is a friend who sticks closer than a brother. Now, I want to just leave those up on the screen for a moment. I want you to look at those two verses. From the perspective, let's just look at it first, from the perspective of friendship in a general sense. What is striking about both of these verses is that they talk about friendship as a relationship that is better than a relationship to a sibling. Now, in our culture, Uh, The striking nature of that is lost on us. But you've got to realize that these were written in a culture in which family was everything. Family was prioritized over anything else. So really, this this is quite striking. Now, why might a friend be better than a sibling? Well, look at verse 17. A friend loves at all times, and a sibling is born for adversity. Now, here's what this is trying to say. The people that you are related to by blood, your, like your family of origin, uh, they're going to be there for you in adversity because they, they care. There, there's loyalty there. There's memory there. They're going to be there for you, but they may not like you. Like they may not want to go out for a drink with you or anything. On the other hand, a friend is a person who's chosen you. Like they weren't forced into a relationship with you by birth. And in fact, the word that's translated uh, in this verse, the word that's translated sticks in verse 24, sticks with you, is a Hebrew word that is often 
Interestingly enough, translated cleave. Cleave. Now, some of you who are familiar uh, with the Bible will recognize that that's what Adam and Eve, back in the first book of the Bible, Genesis, that's what Adam and Eve were commanded to do with each other by God in the first marriage. They were to leave their family of origin and they were to cleave to one another. And so it's very fair to say that married couples were intended by God to be friends as well as lovers. So I want to think about this now. Let's think about it in terms of marriage. Those of you who are single and, and, and would like to get married, I want to tell you, uh, you know, maybe you're dating right now or something, I want to tell you that you really need to hear this. As obvious as it sounds that wise people prioritize friendships and wise couples prioritize their friendship with one another, understand that when it comes to dating and marriage, American culture puts friendship on the back seat. It puts friendship on the back seat. What does American culture put first? Well, our culture puts erotic love, romantic love, uh, sexual love first. And parents, by the way, if you're, you know, you hear me talking about this and you think, well, maybe he's going to go someplace that wouldn't be good for my kids, kids to hear, I'm not going to do that. So just, just relax, okay? Think about it for just a minute. Think about it. When you're at the checkout at the grocery store or when you're reading some online uh, news feed, do they put pictures uh, on the covers of those magazines describing who's best friends with whom? Do they do that? Of course not. It's who's sleeping with whom. Why would you care about who's best friends with whom? But who is sleeping with someone else? Oh, that we want to know about. Or think about this. There are thousands of songs. If I made a stack on this side of songs uh, about romantic love, like I, th- it would go from here to the ceiling. Would you agree? Yeah. Okay. But now let's say that we made a stack over here about how many songs that you can find that are purely about friendship. Well, that stack would be very, very low. Would you agree? In fact, I I will tell you something. I did a a Google search on this, and I found 20 songs about friendship compared to the hundreds of thousands of songs about romantic, erotic, sexual uh, love. 20 songs. Anybody anybody know some of these songs? Let me tell you some. Among them, some of you who are old enough, James Taylor, You've Got a Friend. Okay, Queen, You're My Best Friend, Bill Withers, Lean On Me, The Beatles. What do you think that song is, somebody? The Beatles. With a little help from my friends. Okay, good. Um, Randy Newman, You've Got a Friend in Me, The Jackson Five, I'll Be There. And then for hip-hop fans in, the midst, in our midst, uh, Click by Kanye, Jay-Z, and Big Sean. Okay, so those are just a few of them. 20 songs... 20 songs about friendship. Our culture isn't turned on by friendship. It is not the most important thing in our culture. And I will tell you something. In all my years of doing premarital counseling, if there's one mistake that I see young couples make, it's that they don't spend enough time becoming friends. Now, why don't they do that? Well, it's because they follow the trends of our culture. And they jump into sex way too quickly. And eventually, that becomes a problem. Why? Well, at least two two reasons. One, 
Once you get sexually involved with each other, things like character issues uh, take a back seat. Your emotions begin to go out to the person that you're having sex with, and you can't be objective about their character. And whether you would even like to spend the rest of your life with that person, it just gets difficult to be objective. Okay? And then second, as any person that's been married for a while could tell you, romantic love cannot carry a marriage. Romantic love can't carry a marriage. Dating and engagement in a more amplified way are for developing a friendship, okay? For watching the other person's character, for becoming emotionally and spiritually intimate uh, with one another. And then when you're married, physical intimacy comes out of the spiritual and the emotional intimacy that you developed while you were dating. And I will tell you something, if you get those two things turned around, you're in for a lot of trouble uh, down the road in your marriage. Okay, now that's for, that's, for, that's for couples that are dating. They're not yet married. That's the biggest mistake I see them make as it relates to friendship. For married couples, in all of the marriage counseling I do, for married couples, the biggest problem that I see for married couples is that they don't spend enough time cultivating their friendship with one another. And like over time... Those of you who are married will understand how easily this happens. Over time, they just become roommates. And that's really the song that, uh, that Jake uh, was singing, that, that Jake and Abby were singing and the band was playing just a little while ago. Why don't we dance anymore? See, that's, just, that's a couple that hasn't spent time cultivating their friendship with one another. And so they've just become roommates together. I think the natural question that comes up as we talk about the importance of cultivating a friendship, the natural question that comes up is, well, what does friendship look like uh, in a marriage? How do we, you know, how do we uh, go about developing a, a friendship with one another? And I would tell you that it looks very similar, frankly, to a friendship with someone who isn't your spouse. And so what I want to do this morning is I, I want to give you four characteristics in the next few minutes. I want to give you four characteristics of biblical friendship. So for those of you who aren't married here today, think about this as just characteristics for any friendship that you have. What does a biblical friendship look like? Then for those of you who are married, let's apply this to marriage. So let's add this. Four characteristics of biblical friendship with your spouse. What does that look like? How do we cultivate that? Okay. And I think what you're going to find is that the Bible's definition of friendships is far deeper than any other definition of friendship anywhere in the world. So let me give you the first characteristic of a biblical uh, friendship with your spouse or with someone else. Constancy. That's number one. Constancy. Constancy. Now, take a look at the first two verses uh, again. A friend loves uh, at all times. Okay? What, does that, what does that mean, that a friend loves at all times? Well, be careful with this, because some of you might think, well, that means a couple has to spend all of your time together. That is not the case. Watch this. Proverbs twenty-five seventeen says, seldom set foot in your neighbor's house. Too much of you, and he will hate you. Now, you get that, right? You understand that. Have you ever had like a 
a clingy girlfriend or, or a boyfriend who stalks you or something. I mean, that gets old very, very quickly, right? So it's not that you have to spend all of your time together. That gets, you know, married couples, dating couples need to be able to have time apart from one another to develop their own individual interests too, okay? So what then does a friend loves at all times means mean? Well, it simply means all kinds of times in a dating relationship or in a marriage. Like good times, bad times, ordinary times, routine, boring times, for better, for worse, I think is what we're saying here, right? But I want to go just a little bit deeper about this idea called constancy. I want you to look at Proverbs 18.24. A man of many companions may come to ruin, but there is a friend who sticks closer than a brother. Now, I want you to look carefully at the contrast in this verse. A man of many companions may come to ruin, but there is a friend who sticks closer than a brother. Why? Why? Because most people, most people know you and want to know you because you're useful to them. And if we're very honest with one another, that's true of ourselves as well. Most of the people that you know and most of the people that you want to know are useful to you as well. Some of them are useful for having a good time. Some of them are for meeting other people. Some of them, perhaps, are for hooking up. Some of them for getting things done. But here's the problem. Those people, you see, when the chips are down and when you're starting to collapse, that's when companions, those people, say to you, uh, yeah, uh, Call me if you need anything. That's what they say. But a spouse, if you've cultivated a biblical friendship with a spouse, a spouse is there, or your future spouse is there, because they've deliberately made you not a means to an end, but an end in yourself. Like if your spouse or your future spouse is your friend, they'll say, I'll do whatever it takes to keep you from falling into ruin. I'll be there even when it costs me something. I won't let you get to the bottom. I won't. And for those of you who are dating, here's a way to find out if the person that you're marrying is marriage material or not. What happens when sex is off the table? Does he stay around? It's not just guys. Does she stay around? I read recently, and I don't know what you think about Tim Tebow, but I did read recently that Tim Tebow's girlfriend left him because he refused to have sex prior to marriage. What happens when sex is off the table? Do they stay or do they leave? I would encourage you, that's a, it's a great test to determine if the person that you're dating is marriage material, Okay? dare you to try that. Constancy, being there in the good times, being there in the bad times, being in there in the routine and boring times, being there no matter what happens, that's one of the first characteristics of a biblical friendship with your spouse. Second, let me give you the second characteristic of a biblical friendship with your spouse, carefulness. Carefulness. Now, this is, this is very interesting. I want you to watch this. I'm going to give you three verses. Proverbs 25, 20. Like one who takes away a garment on a cold day, or like vinegar poured on soda, is one who sings songs to a heavy heart. 
Here's the next one. Like a madman shooting firebrands or deadly arrows is a man who deceives his neighbor and says, I was only joking. Here's the third one. If a man loudly blesses his neighbor early in the morning, it will be taken as a curse. Now, what are those Proverbs talking about? They're all kind of confusing. What are they talking about? Well, ask yourself this. Why would a man deceive his neighbor and say, I was only joking. Why would a guy do that? Or why would a guy loudly bless his neighbor early in the morning and it be taken as a curse? Well, the answer is that that man is so emotionally disconnected from his neighbor, he doesn't know their inner topography enough to know that they're not a morning person, right? Like they don't want to hear that early in the morning, okay? Why does a person say, well, you know, uh, again, why do they say, uh, hey, listen, uh, I was only joking. Well, again, it's, it's because the person is so emotionally disconnected from the other person, okay, that they don't know that, that, that a joke like that would hurt them, okay? Most of all, I want you to look at 20, uh, Proverbs 27, 14. What is a singing song to a heavy heart? By the way, the word song there uh, means a song of joy. Well, what is that? What's a, what's a song of joy to a heavy heart? Well, it, there's emotional disconnection there. I can be happy when you're sad. You see, couples who've cultivated their friendship with one another can't go around singing happy songs when the other is heavy-hearted. These couples are unbelievably emotionally sensitive to one another. They know how one another uh, is feeling. Uh, they're committed to one another's emotional flourishing, and so much so that they can't rejoice when the other person isn't emotionally flourishing as well. You see, they're, they're careful to connect with each other on a deep level. And I would ask you, how emotionally connected are you to your spouse? Do you know when he is up? Do you know when he is down? Do you know when she is up? Do you know when, when she is down? It takes a lot of time and a lot of attention and a lot of communication to become that emotionally uh, connected to one another. Constancy, carefulness. Here's the third one. Third characteristic of a biblical friendship and a biblical friendship with your spouse. This one is, this one is candor. Candor. Truth-telling. You know, willingness to tell each other the truth. Okay, look at this proverb. Proverbs 27. Better is open rebuke than hidden love. Wounds from a friend can be trusted, but an enemy multiplies kisses. What are friendly wounds? What does that mean? Well, this is friendly wounds. This is a metaphor for words that your spouse or your future spouse needs to hear, but that are going to be uh, painful. Married couples need to be able to say sometimes what really needs to be said. Like, honey, I love you, uh, but you need to know that you're being way too hard on the kids. Or, babe, sometimes you say things in ways that are insensitive to the people that are around you. Or, honey, you're an alcoholic and you need help. Couples sometimes need to be able to say those kinds of things to one another. Now, I know a lot of couples uh, 
who don't do this with one another. And some of them would even say, well, you know, that, it's not very loving to say those kinds of things. Well, I want you to notice the parallelism in these verses. By the way, that's how you understand uh, a lot of Hebrew poetry and Hebrew wisdom writings is by the parallelism involved. Look at verses 5 and 6. The second clause of verse 5 talks about hidden love. Now, that's, that's another metaphor. What it's trying to say is that this is a person who thinks that they're loving their spouse by hiding the truth. It's so like, like if that's you, you would say, well, I love him, I love her too much to tell them the truth. But I want you to look at what it's parallel to in verse 6. Hiding, covering up the truth out of love in verse 5 is the same as the work of an enemy in verse 6. Do you see that? And so if you say, oh, I love him, I love her too much to tell him the truth, what you really mean is, I love myself too much to have to go through that. That's what you're really saying. Now, I think it's important. You know, take note that we talked about carefulness before we talked about candor. Why? Well, because the only way that candor can be accepted is if you're so emotionally connected. Is that me that's going in and out, guys? The only way that candor can be accepted is if you're so emotionally connected to your spouse that you know when and how uh, to say what needs to be said. Okay? They'll only hear that if you're so emotionally connected that you know when to say it, you know how to say it. That's the only way. Are you able to do that in your marriage? Are you able to tell the truth in your marriage in a way that is so sensitive because you're so connected that you know exactly how to say it, exactly how to tell the truth to your spouse when they need to hear it? Are you able to do that? Okay, let me give you the fourth characteristic here of a biblical friendship with your spouse. It's counsel. Counsel. Look at Proverbs uh, 27.9. Perfume and incense bring joy to the heart, and the pleasantness of one's friend springs from his earnest counsel. Now, the word that's translated earnest there, uh, it means that it comes from the heart. And the word counsel there means secrets. It means, it means to confide uh, the things that are deep in your heart that you would never tell anyone else. It means to confide them, uh, to confide in someone about those things, okay? So what is, what is this talking about? Well, it means that there is a sense of trust and vulnerability in your relationship that so much so that both of you allow the other person to see inside one, an- one another very, very deeply, okay? Those things that you would never tell anyone else. And as a result, because you guys are so vulnerable with each other, you can advise one another in a way that nobody else could ever advise you, okay? Now, be careful, because that doesn't mean that there's never a need for outside counseling. I think outside counseling is very good, and I think every couple, frankly, needs outside counseling at some point in your marriage. That's a great thing. That's a wise thing to do, okay? But, but the friendship in this marriage is so strong that there's a back-and-forth vulnerability with one another and a back-and-forth counsel that can take place. 
Now notice that sometimes the counsel is sweet like perfume and incense in Proverbs 27.9. But also watch this, Proverbs 27.17. Watch this. As iron sharpens iron, so one man sharpens another. Now, we can apply that to marriage as well. Sometimes the counsel in a marriage needs to be challenging as well. Sometimes your spouse needs to be able to give you like a swift kick in the rear end and say, hey, you need to get with it or suck it up, or be a little tougher, or get to work, you know, whatever. Sometimes it's really sweet and sensitive, and sometimes it needs to be tough. But candor is important in a marriage. So, so there you have it. We've talked so far about a biblical friendship with your spouse It is characterized by constancy, carefulness, candor, and then counsel. Now, I want to close with this. We could end at this point and just say, well, you know, okay, so now go and and do those things. But I want to tell you something. If I did that, that wouldn't be a distinctly Christian sermon. Wouldn't be very different, say, than uh, watching Dr. Phil or Oprah back when she was uh, on the air. Be just like them. Just, hey, go and do that, okay? But I want to tell you that we have a bigger problem than most of you recognize, if you think back over what we've said so far, we've, we've described the ideal marriage friendship. A spouse who always gives you the truth, always cleaves to you, is always faithful, is deeply connected to you emotionally, allows you to be vulnerable in a way that you couldn't be with anyone else. And when you think of that, you'll find two things happening to you. On the one hand, there's a sense of longing. And the... That's what I've always wanted. That's the kind of friendship. That's the kind of love. That's the kind of spouse that I've, that I've always wanted. But you know that your spouse can't do that perfectly, right? You still long for that. So there's this sense of longing. The second thing that happens when you hear all of this is that it crushes you. Like it just crushes you. Because when you measure yourself as a spouse against those four things that I just mentioned, you begin to realize that you aren't the friend to your spouse that you should be either. Like your own selfishness and your own self-centeredness gets in the way. And if I left you here, you'd walk out of here with a sense of guilt and shame, and you might be motivated to work at friendship in your marriage, but you would do it out of guilt, and you would do it out of shame, rather than genuine love for the other person, okay? So what do you do with that sense of longing, and what do you do with that sense of being crushed by the standards of the Bible? Well, in both cases, you look to Jesus, both cases. On the night before Jesus died, he was trying to, 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 to describe to his disciples what he was about to do. And it's fascinating that he explains what he was about to do in the language of friendship. Watch this. John chapter 16. Jesus said, I no longer call you servants because a servant doesn't know his master's business. Instead, I have called you friends. For everything that I learned from my father, I have made known to you. This is my command. Love each other. 
And suddenly you see, when, when, Jesus, when Jesus says this, when he calls you friends, the whole history of the world can be understood in terms of a friendship, okay? The longing that you have for the kind of friend that we described in this passage is ultimately satisfied only in Jesus Christ. He's the only friend that you will ever have who will always be with you, who will never let you down, who will speak truth to you when it's hard to do, who's so emotionally connected with you that he knows just how to say what needs to be said to you at all times. But on the other hand, because you're his friend, he died on the cross for all the ways that you fall short as a spouse in your marriage, okay? On the cross, Jesus lost his friendship with God so that we could have friendship with God. And if you look at him on the cross, his arms, they're nailed open for you. There's the ultimate friend. There's the friend who sticks closer than a brother so that we're not ruined. And if you know that, if you understand that, it not only keeps you from being crushed by the biblical demands of friendship with your spouse, but it also liberates you to be able to work at becoming the friend that you need to be to your spouse, not out of fear, not out of guilt, not out of shame, but out of genuine love for your spouse and genuine love for Christ. That's what makes this a distinctly Christian message, is that Jesus Christ is the satisfaction for your longing, and he's the answer for when you feel crushed by the demands of Scripture. Now look, there are all sorts of ways that we could apply all of these things that we've talked about, and I don't have time to do that this morning. I'll leave that to you. you For those of you who are in City Life groups, I'll leave that to you to talk about in your city life group all the ways that you could apply this in the context of your own marriages, okay? I just want you to remember uh, this. Don't walk out of this room with guilt and with shame. Don't do it. Look at Jesus on the cross. Your ultimate friend died there for all the ways that you fall short of being the spouse that you should be. So be free when you leave this room and start cultivating a friendship with your spouse out of love, not out of guilt, not out of shame, but out of love because of what Christ did for you on the cross. Would you bow your heads with me this morning? Let's let's close in prayer. Our Lord Jesus Christ, come before you this morning and I think each person in the room this morning would acknowledge that they are not the spouse or if they're not married, they're not the friend to some of their friends that they should be. I certainly confess that as as a husband that I am not the spouse, I am not the friend to my wife that I should be. But Lord, because of what you did on the cross, I don't have to live. We don't have to live with guilt and shame over that. We don't have to be motivated to change out of guilt and shame and motivated to, be, uh, to change because we need to be perfect. But because of what you did on the cross for us, we recognize that guilt and shame and the need for, for, for perfection have all been eliminated. There is, there, there is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. 
And so, Lord, we, we lay all of that at the foot of the cross. We walk out of this room free this morning, free to love, free to be the friend to our spouses that we, that we want to be, that we, that we should be, that the Bible says that, that we can be in Christ. And Lord Jesus Christ, we thank you so much for what you have done for us, that we have that freedom this morning. And so, Lord Jesus, it's in your name that we pray. Amen.